Let's get to uh, our message then today, Matthew 16, or Matthew 6, verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 13. Can we get the lights on in here? Is that possible to get all the lights on? Do you guys like it on the darker side? Is it cool? Do you like the atmosphere? Should we keep it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Should we get a disco ball? All right, Matthew 6, 13. The word of God reads, And lead us not into, into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. God, we just depend upon you for today's word. We pray that you'll speak to us. Father, convict our hearts, open up our spiritual eyes and awareness to what's really going on around us, and help us to truly become spiritual warriors for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, believe it or not, today's sermon is actually the last sermon on the Lord's Prayer. But not only that, after we preach today's sermon, we would have preached every word of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you guys believe that? Right? Was that a good journey for you guys this year? Was it excellent? Yes. I hope God spoke to you guys. I hope God is like challenging you and changing your lives as a result. And I really pray that God continues to. Because this is the foundational stuff. This is like the greatest sermon that was ever preached in history. Review it. Go back to it. I go back to it like every year. And it reminds me out of Jesus' mouth what he really thinks is important. You know, so I hope it continues to bless you. It continues to challenge and transform your life. Let's continue to do that together. Now, I know some of you might be confused when I said this is the last sermon of, on this prayer. Because you're like, hey, hold up. This isn't the end of the Lord's Prayer, is it? What about that, you know, your kingdom, your, what was it? What was it? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. You know what I'm talking about, that, the ending of the Lord's Prayer? How come you, are you going to preach a sermon on that, Eddie? And the answer is, no, I'm not going to preach on that. Why aren't you going to preach on it? Very simple, because it's not in your Bibles, you know? So if it's not in there, I'm not going to preach on it. So then the question is, well, why do we pray it at church then? Why do we pray that last part if it wasn't in the Lord's Prayer originally? And here's the answer. The answer is it's still a hotly debated topic, right? It's not in the original transcripts of Matthew or Mark or Luke, you know, it's not in there. But when you look at literature, church history, dating back to the first century, a lot of those church fathers put it in there, put that part in there. And they thought, hey, it should be a part of it. It's a great conclusion. But because it's not in the original manuscripts, I've decided not to preach it. Because it's not in Matthew, I have decided not to preach it. Is that okay? Okay. You know, then why do we preach it? Is it biblical? It still is biblical. If you didn't know, that last part of the Lord's Prayer comes from 1 Chronicles 29.11. It's actually just a copy-paste. But the, the church fathers thought that's a great ending to the Lord's Prayer, so they kind of copy-pasted it in there. Okay, so it's biblical, and it's still kind of debated today whether people should, whether it should be in the Bible or not. But because it's not there today in 2020, I am not going to preach on it. Okay, cool? Is that, so can we move on? Yes? Okay. All right. So verse 13, let's get to this verse. What is it about, and why does Jesus want us to pray this every single day? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because this verse talks about what? Temptations? And it talks about the devil, right? Isn't that interesting? So this is where the prayer kind of takes an ominous tone, takes an ominous turn here. So what is Jesus saying? But, well, before we get to what he's saying, um, this is why I just want to remind you. These few lines, these few verses 
are instructions by Jesus Christ as to what is most important for us to pray. And so if he's saying that temptations and the evil one that's trying to tempt us is foundational, foundationally important to our spiritual lives, then we need to take it just as seriously, don't we? This is this are the spiritual battle that is being waged for our hearts and our minds must be primary in our lives at the forefront of our minds every single day that we wake up. Just as important as we want to live for God, we got to fight against the evil one. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you guys understand? Do you guys get that? So it's really, really huge. Um, Jesus is painting a picture of the devil tempting us every single day to be unfaithful and to destroy everything that we may have gained up until now, not only in the Lord's Prayer, but the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about this very, very carefully. Jesus is saying what? That the devil is constantly attacking you, okay? Just that thought. I want you to get that through your mind. The devil is constantly attacking us if we are believers. And the whole goal that the devil has is what? For you not to live your life eternally. That's it. If you go through a day not thinking about God, not thinking about eternal things, then who won that day? The devil. It's that simple. It's that easy. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to take that seriously. So the question that I have for you is, how do you think the devil's going to do that? And a lot of times we think in church, oh, man, I bet he's going to send some things my way that's going to scare me. He's going to send some demons and some demonic things my way. But I tell you what, I don't think that's going to work because if I see a demon in my life, what's the first thing I'm going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do if you see a demon? You're going to pray, right? Oh, God, save me. So he's lost. Because we just turned to God and we just thought about God and we thought about eternal things. Oh my goodness, the spiritual realm is real. So I'm going to pray and invest in the spiritual realm. He just lost. So guess what? He's not going to do that. That's probably the last thing he's going to do to tempt us, right? Um, so his goal is not to make you think about God. His goal is not to make you live for things that are eternal. And basically his goal is to make you go back to the non-Christian life that you lived before you ever met God, so that there is no difference between your non-Christian life and your post-saved life. Do you guys get this? Doesn't that make sense? Right? When you weren't a Christian, you didn't think about God, you didn't live for God, that's all he's trying to do is make you go back to that. It's very simple. It's very simple. You know, has this ever happened to your life? Have you ever, have you ever woken up one day and you went through the whole day without thinking about God whatsoever, doing whatever you wanted, and then you went to sleep without ever thinking about God or doing anything eternal. Did you ever do that? Just wake up and, or maybe there was another day where you woke up and maybe you wanted to think about God, but you were so distracted or there were other things that you really wanted to do that day. So by the time you went to sleep, you didn't think about God and you didn't do anything eternal and you just went to sleep. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, of course. What do we call those days within our lives? We call those days normal days, don't we? That's what we do. Well, Eddie, that's like every day. You know, that's like so many days out of the week. But what is Jesus telling us in this verse? He's saying that those days cannot be seen as normal. That's it, right? Your day was not normal. Why? Because if you didn't think about God, if you didn't actually make choices to live for eternal things, if you didn't see yourself taking a step, investing in what actually counts for eternity, then who won the battle that day? The evil one did. Do you guys see that? Is that kind of clear? Is that simple enough? It really is that simple, right? 
Did we love God that day? No, we didn't. Did we love others that day and spend our lives building other people up in Christ? No, we didn't, right? Did we think or even operate eternally at all in anything that we did? No, we didn't. Therefore, who won? The evil one won. Do you guys see that? The spiritual battle is real. The spiritual battle is being waged all the time. It is not a normal day if you just went to sleep not thinking about anything eternal because Jesus says this is foundational. Jesus says this is 24-7. Jesus says you got to pray against the evil attacks. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if we go days where we don't pray and we don't fight, and we just surrender. That's probably what we did. We just surrendered to the evil one and we lost or we're losing. Maybe that's a better way to place it, right? Is that cool? Do you guys understand that? And so, you know, what's messed up about Christian, what's messed up about Christianity and Christians today sometimes is that we so readily accept days where we don't think about God and when we don't live eternally as normal. We're okay with it. And that's what's messed up. We shouldn't be. You know what I'm saying? There are some Christians and churches today, um, or maybe I should say this, you know, but for Jesus to put this line in the foundation as the foundational prayer of life means that we cannot take the spiritual battle that's going on in our lives lightly at all. We need to pray every single day for God to deliver us from the attacks of the evil one. You know, is I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to guess that FLM is a church that talks about the devil. When you were growing up in the church, you probably talked about the evil one and his schemes and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that you did, which is a good thing. You know, it's a good thing because there's a lot of churches that refuse to talk about it. There's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that refuse to talk about the evil one. Not only that, but we're so arrogant sometimes that we refuse to believe that we can be influenced by demonic powers. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you, we, there are Christians out there that refuse to believe. Oh, I was just distracted that day. I didn't like, you know, think about God. Oh, so what? You know, it happens. No, I think there was some influence going on in your life. But to think that way is very, very dangerous. Okay? Because the spiritual battle is real. The flip side of the coin is also dangerous as well. There are some churches and Christians that kind of place too much emphasis and too much blame on demonic activity and demonic influences for their what? Lack of character, their lack of devotion. And that's not healthy as well. So what the church needs today, in my opinion, is a really a healthy understanding of the devil, the healthy understanding of his schemes, so that we can be convinced of how much we need God to overcome, that we cannot overcome Satan and his temptations without God holding our hand. And that's exactly why Jesus wants us to pray this prayer. So let me share you share with you a few things about the devil and his schemes, and then we can actually move on to the uh, the verse itself. You know, there are two words in the Bible that talk about the devil, Satan and the devil. Two words that we're very familiar with. Satan is the Hebrew word, which actually means adversary, someone who's against you. The devil is the Greek word, which means slanderer, one who constantly speaks uh, who speaks false and damaging statements about another. So what is God saying? God's saying that Satan is our adversary. He is against you in every single way, right? He will continually do whatever he can to make sure that he is against you and that you fall. He is our enemy and his defining characteristic and the way he operates is by continually bombarding you with false and damaging statements about God, about scripture, and especially about yourself. 
He is constantly telling you lies about those things. Those are his tactics. The Bible says that he's cunning. The Bible says that he's attractive, that he's influential. The Bible says that he's far more intelligent than any one of us. So guess what? He's not going to do something that you're going to be like totally like, whoa, cut off surprised by. He's not going to do something that you're going to object to. He's so much smarter than that, right? So what will he do? Simple. He will continually influence you little by little so that you value yourself above God, just like you did before you became a Christian. And your life will slowly but surely move in the direction so that you will never think about nor live for God, his kingdom, and his will. It's that simple. He's the one telling you things like this. It's okay if you don't live for God 100% today. You'll get it tomorrow, right? It's okay, you know? He's the one telling you, hey, it's okay, because this is more important than you seeking after God right now. Oh my God, this is immediate, you know? You don't need to seek after God now. You don't have to love other people because this, this is what you need in your life right now. He's the one telling you that ah, it's okay if you don't sin those major sins. As long as you don't sin those, sin those major sins, you're okay. And there's so many more lies that he's throwing our way. But he's the one that is constantly bombarding us with all of those lies. The point being, this part of the Lord's Prayer acknowledges the devil's amazingly influential power within our lives. I bet most of the time we're not even, we don't even notice it. We probably won't because he's that cunning. But that's how he operates. So God says in Ephesians 2.2 that the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he has agents everywhere. He has agents in Sydney. He has agents in Chicago. He has agents in churches. He has agents even in the pulpit as you've been studying in, in 1 John in your CGs, right? We, he has agents in the pulpit. And so he's not omnipresent like God is, but he tries to mimic God's omnipresence by like gathering a host of evil spirits to afflict godly people, to afflict ungodly people all over the world all of the time. What's the point? There is a constant spiritual battle that's being waged. Jesus looks at what's happening for real and is like, dude, you got to pray. Look at what the evil one's doing in your heart, in your mind. Look at what the evil one's doing in this world. We need to pray. We need God to intervene. This is what Jesus is saying when he's commanding us to pray this verse. The spiritual realm is real. And because the devil is so vigilant and because the devil is so incessant in all of his attempts to drive us away from God and from our faith, we need to pray this prayer every single day so that we can receive God's power. To stay what? Spiritually surrendered to him. To be spiritually victorious against those incessant attacks. We need him to do that. And I'll explain how we do that in a moment. Because here's what's at stake. Everything that we've been blessed by, everything that we've been transformed by in the Lord's Prayer and in the Sermon on the Mount is at stake. Right? What are those things? Things like security in our Father. Kingdom living and purpose. Deepening relationships within the body of Christ, within the church. Those things can all be taken away. How? By simply being negligent. By simply ignoring what's really going on around us. Right? By simply falling prey to the war that's being waged for our hearts and souls and minds. And that happens a lot, right? One day you wake up and you're totally on fire for Jesus and you love the church. But for some reason, the next day you wake up and... You don't care about God and 
you hate the church. How does that happen? But it happens. All of us have probably been through it. I've been through it, right? That's what happens. You know, one day you wake up and you realize that you're far from God, but instead of repenting, instead of saying, God, I'm so sorry because I gave in to the influence of the evil one and we repent, instead, what do we do? We like blame other people. We like blame the church. You know, did you ever do that? I did that even as a pastor. I did that. You know, and then what do we end up doing? We end up just running away from Christians. We run away from Christians. We run away from the church. We run away from anything good. And then what do we do? We end up investing in ourselves much more deeply. Who won that day? You know what I'm saying? This is what happens all the time. Why is that? It's because of the influence of the evil one in our lives. And that's why we need to pray this prayer daily so that we can constantly be focused on God and his name and his kingdom and his will. And by praying this prayer daily, we acknowledge the spiritual battle and we engage in the battle every day. And that's what God wants us to do, to engage in that battle every day. So the last line of this prayer is huge, isn't it? It's a big prayer. Christ doesn't want any of these blessings to be destroyed or taken away. So with that in mind, let's look at the verse now. Okay, we've been looking at the verse, but let's look at it a little bit more. The ver- uh, Matthew 6.13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, did you ever notice that first part of the verse is kind of weird? Lead us not into te- temptation. It almost sounds as if God can lead us into temptation and we're asking him not to. But that's not what's happening here. It's actually just a weird wording of the phrase. James 1.13 makes it clear that God cannot tempt us. It says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So there we go. God cannot tempt us. But what is this first part of the verse saying then? And I like, there's a lot of different interpretations, but I like what Don Carson says best. And here we go. It's our little grammatical lesson today. What's actually happening in that first part of the verse is something we call a litotes. Do you guys know what a litotes is? I didn't know either until this week. So yeah. It's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech which seeks to negate the contrary. Exactly. I have no idea what I just said either. So this is what it means. When we, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're actually really praying is, God, even more, lead us into righteousness where you're going to protect us. That's what we're praying. Lead us not into temptation means, God, you got to grab us and you got to lead us into righteousness so that you could protect us. Isn't that awesome? That's exactly what we're praying here. That's a litotes. Right. Okay, anyway, okay, let's move on. So, and that's what's awesome about this verse is because Jesus is saying that God himself will deliver us from the evil one. So right from the start, what we're noticing is that we're admitting to God right from the beginning, we cannot have spiritual victory any day of our lives without God. God's the only one that can give us the power, the insight, the focus, the surrender to stay spiritually victorious in him. So we need him, we need him for our spiritual health, our spiritual guidance, and ultimately for our spiritual victory. You know, there was this men's conference that I went to in the States, and it was really huge back in the 90s, okay? I know some of you weren't even born, but it was huge back in the 90s. And one time, what happened was, this was a men's conference, you know, at these big, like, venues, you know, like ANZ Arena, this kind of stuff. And uh, what, at one time, they brought all these bear traps on the stage, and like African animal traps, you know, the huge ones that snap up like this, right? That it took a few people to open up those things. And so what they did was they asked a father and a son to volunteer to come on stage. So they volunteered, they came on stage, everyone's like, yay. And then what they did was they blindfolded the son 
And they told the father, go to the other side of the stage and guide your son across the bear traps. Now, it wasn't a stunt. These are real. What do you think that father did? He's probably like, what are you, psycho? Right? So what do you think the father did? He told, he yelled, and he yelled at his son to stay there, not to move. And then what did the father do? He ran back across the stage, grabbed his son, and walked him through to the other side into safety. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys get that? No father is going to let their son perish, especially for some stupid stunt on stage. Because the kid could die. If you understand that picture, you understand the prayer. All right, that's exactly the prayer, the picture that God is painting in this prayer. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are admitting, God, there are temptations out there that exist that if I were to even entertain it or come near it, I would be destroyed. We know that's true. There are some temptations and there are some traps of life that if I were to even go near, I'm screwed. I know it. And then we're, we're admitting that to God. And through this prayer, what we're saying is, God, we're so, I'm weak and I'm prone to walking into those traps. But I need you. I need you to not only help me, I need you to grab me. Because I can't make it to safety on my own. I need you to guide me out of this trouble. And God, I know that you're going to grab me because I know you will never let me perish. And he won't. And that's the power behind this prayer. That when we beg God to grab us and to guide us through the traps of life, that he will lead us into safety. Because that's what a father does. You guys get that? If you, whether you're a Christian or not, you know that this world is filled with bear traps. You know, certain things in life that will just, just destroy your life. You don't, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. But if you are a Christian and if, if the gospel really is central in your life, then you know in growing measure that the real bear traps of life are not only out there, but especially where? They're mainly in here, in your heart. Because this is where the true evil resides. James 1, 13 to 15 says this. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Here we go, verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are what? Dragged away by what? Their own evil desires. And they're enticed by their own evil desires. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Isn't that such a weird phrase? Gives birth to death. What is it saying? It's saying that the reason why you get enticed is because you already have the evil desires in your heart already. All the evil one is doing is exciting it. And then it's you're the one that's choosing to sin. Do you see that? The real evil resides in here. I was talking to the officers this week about maturity. And you know what maturity is a lot of the times? A lot of times maturity is very simple. It is choosing, right? It means doing what we don't want to do so that God can be glorified and others can be loved. To me, that's what maturity is. Doing what I don't want to do and being responsible for what I need to be so that God can be glorified and so that others can be loved. Which practically means a lot of times that we choose to die to our own desires, and we do what we don't want to do so that we can make God greater within our lives, so that other people can be served, and so that other people can know God through us, you know? Which means that 
It's not just sins that we need to avoid, but it's anything that can become an idol within our hearts or within our lives, you know, if we entertain it, you know, too much. So many things in life are pleasurable, aren't they? There are, and there's a lot of great things, things that aren't necessarily sin. But, you know, it's so, if we understand what this verse is saying, you know, we deny ourselves sometimes of even those pleasures, especially when we know we're teetering right on that edge where pleasure is becoming an addiction, and desires turn into sin. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Good things can easily become evil. And so, you know, what we do is we guard ourselves. That's why we desperately need to pray these prayers because it's not just evil things that we seek after. That's not what it's talking about, but it's talking about even good things within our lives that can easily turn into idols or easily turn into sins within our lives. If we don't pray this prayer, Don Carson says this, and it's kind of a little bit challenging. He says, Is it not a mark of spiritual carelessness and insensitivity to the spiritual dimensions of human existence if you don't pray this prayer? And you're like, what did he just say? Exactly. So let me reword it. He's basically saying this. If you don't pray this last line, especially after all the blessings you've received from God, if you don't pray this last line knowing what's on the line, aren't we just living arrogant and loveless lives then? It just proves that we're full of ourselves and it proves that we don't care about anybody else. That's all it's saying. That's what he's saying. And it's really true, right? Because if we don't pray this prayer by not fighting to stay dependent upon God for our spiritual health, what are we doing? We are relinquishing the blessings that we've been given by God. We're literally like putting that all in a silver platter and saying, here, dear devil, just take it all. And what are we really saying when we do that? What we're really saying is, maybe I didn't really care about those blessings in the first place. And I don't really care if God uses me to bless any other people. I don't need to guard that or cherish it. It's okay. You could take it. That's what we basically say when we don't pray this prayer. Now, I'm going to guess for most of us, it's not like we're doing that on purpose. It's probably because we were just ignorant. Here's your chance to change the direction of your life. You know, change to guard yourselves to allow God to guard your heart and to guard your life and the blessings. Let's take that choice. Let's make that choice today. Okay. And here's also the good news. And here's the best part about it. In this verse, Jesus wants us to ask God to deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because when we ask God to deliver us, what's he going to do? He'll deliver us. It's that simple too. You know, yes, the evil one has all of his schemes. He's attacking us like crazy. But if we ask God for help, if we reach out our hand, God's always reaching out his hand to us, wanting to guide us and grab us. But when we pray this prayer, it's as if we're reaching out our hand to grab a hold of God's. And we're saying, we need you. And God, I know that you're going to save me. God, I know that you're the power within my life that will help me become spiritually victorious over all these temptations that Satan is throwing my way. And you will be victorious. That's the greatest part of this prayer, right? You know, 1 John 4, 4. Why is that? 1 John 4, 4. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't you love that verse? The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And I know there's some of you out there, you're like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, screw the devil. You know, we got God and it's good. That's how you should operate. Depend on God. You know, translate that into this prayer and you'll, you'll be fine. But there might be others in here that are kind of like this. But Eddie, you want to know something? I prayed that prayer before and it didn't work. You know, when I was tempted, I prayed the prayer. I prayed this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But God did not save me. Or God did not stop the temptation. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
But my guess is this. When you prayed that prayer, God did do something. But he just didn't do what you wanted him to do. You know, sometimes we're a little bit like that. If I'm lusting after this girl and she's like hot and sexy, I want God to strike that girl with lightning so that I won't see her anymore, right? That's all I want, but he doesn't. I prayed the prayer, God, didn't work. You know, all of a sudden you're in this juicy gossiping conversation. There's like 10,000 things that's coming out of your mouth. But you, what do you wish? I wish God would just magically glue my mouth shut so I can't talk. But he didn't do that. So I said those 10,000 things, you know, and I gossiped. You know what I'm saying? There are things that we want God to do, but we know God's not really going to do. But God was doing something. He actually gave you an out. You just didn't notice it because you were probably looking in the wrong place. How do I know that God was actually doing something? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God was doing something. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, here we go, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What is this verse saying? It's saying two things. This verse is saying that God will never let a temptation come your way that you cannot overcome with his help. That's number one. Number two, what is he saying? He's saying that when you are tempted, he will always give you at least one way out. He always will. You can walk away. You can turn your computer off. You can close the fridge. You can leave your credit cards at home or your phone if you have Apple Pay. You know, you could leave your phone on airplane mode. God forbid, but yes, you can. You know, and leave it like that all day. You know what I'm saying? There's always a way out if we're willing to fight the battle. He will always be there to lead us out of temptations and out of the grasp of the evil one. But sometimes you just got to grab what he's given you. You know what I'm saying? And not constantly look for what you want him to give you. Till this day, ever since Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife, the best thing you can do a lot of times is just get out of there. That's like the best thing. You know, there is no better solution than that. You know, just leave. Temptations can be tough, but they can be overcome. Satan is tough, but the devil can be overcome. God will always be there to help you through all the entrapments of sin. But what about addictions, Eddie? I'm addicted to something, but I want God. I want freedom. I want to overcome. I want to break through. Will God help us through our addictions? And the ultimate answer is yes. You bet your life he will. Absolutely, he will. But let me say this. You know, as a pastor, I truly believe that addictions are kind of in a different category, you know? And this is what I mean. Like, If you're addicted to drugs or pornography, if you're addicted to your mobile phone or whatever it might be, I truly believe you need professional help. We need to seek the help of professionals. You know, when someone has a disease, like heart disease, who are you going to go see? A doctor. A heart doctor. You know what I'm saying? To us, that makes perfect, logical, rational sense. That's what we need. We need professional help. You know, in the same way, people who are afflicted with the disease of addictions, we need professionals to help us out of our addiction, an addiction professional. We do. 
right? Now, that doesn't mean that God won't do something miraculous. Sometimes he really does. Sometimes if we know we're addicted to something and we pray, God releases us miraculously from it and praise God that he does. And it's awesome whenever we hear testimonies of those things. But that does not happen for all of us. You know, I don't know if that's the norm either, but I'm so thankful that he does. Because I really believe when it says lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, there is a burden upon the church to be involved. There's a burden upon the church to love our brothers and sisters who are addicted so that we could pray for them and support them and help them, right? There is a faith element totally involved. If you ever visit Christians in a hospital, guess what? They pray more than anybody else, right? Because they know the trouble that they're in. And everyone who has a relative who's in the hospital, guess what they're doing at home? Praying. How much prayer is being directed at patients in the hospital? Same with those who seek out help for their addictions. If they check themselves into a rehab facility, guess what they're doing when they're, they're there? They're praying. Guess what their families are doing? They're praying. Guess how much prayer is going into this guy simply because this person sought out for help? It's huge. And because of the corporate nature that's it's actually occurring, that corporately we're all rallying behind this one person who's addicted, What do you think God's going to do as the father when he sees his family rally together for one of their brothers and sisters? He'll help. Addictions can be overcome. But because addictions are serious, like heart disease, you have to be serious about ending them within your life. If you are addicted to something, can I just please encourage you to pray hard, to seek help, you know, Ask your leaders, call up your councils, you know, your local council and ask for professional help. And then ask your CGs, ask your church to rally behind you and we will. We'll pray for you and we'll help you overcome. Okay? Addictions can be overcome, but it'll be a battle that you will fight till you die. You know, once you kind of cross that line, I think we're just going to fight it till death. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a big prayer, isn't it? Right? It's so necessary. So let's learn to live by it and stay spiritually surrendered to it. Um, I have one more illustration to close. And they say you should never end your sermons with a negative example. But I wanted to share a story that really broke my heart and shocked me when I was a young pastor. And so... Um, and it truly, it was this that truly awakened me to some spiritual realities that are happening, even in church. You know, in the States many years ago when I was a young pastor, there was this pastor who was simply on fire for God. This guy was on fire for God. I mean, uh, we'll call him John, okay? And I got to tell you, whenever he spoke, it's like fire came out of his mouth. You know what I'm saying? People would just get a, they would just become on fire for Jesus. When I, you know, when he would call people to repent of their sins and to give their lives to Christ, it's like waves would come forward. He was so powerful. I remember I led praise once at a revival meeting that he was speaking at, at a conference. And when he invited, you could just feel it on, I was like backstage, but I could like feel something when he was preaching. And then when he would invite people to come surrender their lives to Jesus, oh my gosh, it was just like ridiculous. So, you know, it was amazing that God, this guy was anointed and that God was doing so, so many great things through him. 
Um, he was obviously becoming more popular by the week and his diary, diary was probably becoming all booked out because people just started to recognize the amazing anointing that this guy had. And he had been in ministry for maybe like 10 years, 15 years already. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, and for, you know, the thing is for the people that knew John personally, he, they would say, people from his church would say he was a great pastor. He was a great guy. You know, he loved people. Not only did people in his church say that, but his family members said it as well. You know, and not only was John anointed, but his wife was absolutely anointed. She was a woman that was truly after God. A lot of us as younger pastors, we were like, man, I think this is the greatest one-two punch in the city. <laughs> you know, that's what we would say, you know, and it was true. But one day out of the blue, we all heard that John ran away with another woman. And we were all blown away. Just out of the blue, we heard that he ran away with another woman. And not only did they run away together, but we found out literally immediately he quit the ministry altogether. He quit being a pastor. He quit being a Christian. Yeah, I don't know. That, I don't know how that happens overnight, but it happened. He left behind a broken wife, broken kids, broken church, and a broken community. He forfeited a, forfeited a life of eternal significance for this improper relationship. And to a young pastor like me, that was huge. You know, all of us we used to say, "Man, and we want to be like John." You know. That's what we used to all say. If there was a man who's not going to follow, it's John. We want to be like him. But it was absolutely devastating. It was the first time that I was actually one degree away from a minister who fell. And to me, as a younger minister, that was absolutely devastating. What I learned through all that is that no one is above falling. Right? No one is above throwing away his faith, his family, his heritage in the bin tomorrow. No one is above yielding to temptation in all of its forms. No one. It doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how many times you face temptation and have overcome. It doesn't matter what God might be doing powerfully in your life today. It doesn't matter. Nobody is above falling into temptation. Do you know why? Because the devil never stops. You might be victorious today, but he will never stop tomorrow. And he knows how to get to your heart because he's cunning. He knows how he wants to attack you tomorrow. Oh, you've, you were victorious today? I guess I got to find another way tomorrow. He will never stop until we die. What does that mean? It means we can never stop fighting. And that's why Jesus puts it in the prayer. It's that important. And we need to be awakened to that spiritual battle every day. We need to be fighting in that place every single day. Not only to guard our blessings, but to continue to grow in our blessings, but also so that we can just fight and be victorious with God's strength every single day. We are never safe from temptations or strong enough to fend off Satan's attacks. We are not. We need God. We must never think casually or ignorantly about the spiritual battles that are being waged for our hearts, minds, and souls. Satan takes it seriously. Christ takes it seriously. Therefore, we must take it seriously. We must always lean on God's power constantly, understanding that without it, we cannot stand. And prevention is just as important as battling. Never settle for a mediocre walk with Jesus. Never make excuses not to live your life for Jesus, but fight every single day. As I end, the, as I end this whole series 
Um, I want to share something with you. I honestly don't know if it's theologically correct, but it's just Eddie Bang's thoughts, okay? So don't take what I'm about to say as like biblical. But this is how I think. This is what I tell myself. If you are not a praying person, if you are not fighting every single day on your knees, if you are choosing to live ignorantly of the evil one and all of his schemes as he attacks you and you're okay with it, if you're not fighting intentionally, conscientiously against the evil one and fighting for your walk with Christ, the ministries that you're involved in, your your church and your loved ones, if you are not fighting, then he's winning. That's just the way I think. And you're okay with that. The one who understands the reality of the spiritual battle will pray 24-7. You know, we'll pray and fight for God, his kingdom, his will, his people. And this is who he's called us to be. And the greatest news about this verse is that when we reach our hand up to God and say, God, I can't do it, but only you can, but I need you to do it, he will. That's the greatest part. But we need you to pray. We need you to be prayer warriors. You cannot go a day without prayer. You cannot go a day without depending upon God. You cannot go another day without fighting for what God has given you in Christ. Because Satan's fighting every single day to steal it away. Don't let that happen. Okay? Let's pray. Let's just spend some time fighting, praying for our hearts, for the sins within our lives, for our loved ones that we care about so much. And let's really ask God one thing. So I just want to ask you one thing. God, help me be so satisfied in you. Help me to be so satisfied in Christ. That all we would want is you to grab us, to guide us, to lead us by your hand every single day. That's it. And he will. And he'll always lead you into safety. Let's ask God to do that as we pray today. Let's pray.